speaker. But I want to encourage you this morning with this sermon called Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. God is always our provider. And I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you. Uh, I don't want you to, be, to leave this place, feel daunted by the fact that we have outstanding of uh, $500,000 that we need to raise. Uh, it's nothing in the eyes of God. It's nothing. And so I want to encourage you with this. Uh, there are many names of God, and this is one of them, probably the more popular one, Jehovah Jireh. And the text is from Genesis 22. Genesis 22 is a very common uh, story that most of us are aware of. It's about the sacrifice of Isaac by Abraham. And uh, I want to read through this text, about 667 words I counted. Not counted, you know, word count. Uh, it is a disturbing story, I admit. It raises any number of troubling questions. And from the beginning of interpreters, have tried to figure out its implication from the ancient rabbis to uh, philosophers like Soren Kierkegaard, uh, Danish philosopher, in our own time, a psychoanalyst, and has suggested that the story is a story of child abuse and has burdened our religious heritage. Uh, of course, the tradition can be misused, of, but it's not about that. It's not a story about human sacrifice. Uh, it is a story about trust. It's not a story of a God who wanted human sacrifice. It is a God who prevented human sacrifice. It is, it is the story of a man who loved Abraham and wanted Abraham to trust him. It is the story of a God who wanted Abraham to believe that God would cause the sun to rise even though the night might be terribly dark. And so I want to read through the text, uh, chapter 22 of Genesis, verse 1 right down to verse 18, and then I want to read a verse from the New Testament, Philippians chapter 4, and I'll try to tie these two together and give you six Ps on this topic of Jehovah Jireh, our provider. So let's read from Genesis chapter 22. I have it on the PowerPoint here this morning for you, but... Uh, sometimes later... God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. And then it stopped. No. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, 
But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the ticket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. The Jewish people, as I said, has blessed the entire world. We cannot deny that. Because you have obeyed me. That's the story. And I want to bring you another verse. And that is in Philippians chapter 4, 19. Philippians 4, 19. Philippians is a wonderful letter. And in chapter 4, is actually this verse, And my God, but my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. This verse is set in the context of contentment. You know, most of us, we, a lot of people are not contented. A lot of very unhappy people around. I cannot, by talking to people, I always hear people are not satisfied with many things. They are not satisfied with the government. They are not satisfied with the country. They are not satisfied with the church. They are not satisfied with their boss. They are not satisfied with their salary. They are not A lot of people are just live in discontentment, always complaining, even though we are living in the most livable city in the world, but not this year. This is year number two, uh, last five years. And yet people are still complaining, people are still not happy and just whinging all the time. And here in Philippians chapter 4, Paul says something that's so beautiful. It's in the context of contentment. Let me just read to you uh, some of the verses here and then I'll zoom in on verse 19 and I'll give you a number of pieces from just this verse alone. This is what Paul says because Finally, the Philippian churches decided to support him after 10 years in his ministry. 
and he was so overjoyed with their support. And this is what he says in verse 10. He said, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me after 10 years. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. How nice of Paul to think that way, isn't it? You all the world wanting to do that to support me, but you just have no means, no resources. You just don't have the opportunity to show it. And then verse 11 says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Contentment is a process of learning. It doesn't come automatically. You learn to be contented. Sometimes it's not to accumulate more. It's learning to be contented. He said, well, I, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I've learned to be contented. And then in verse 13, which we all quote, but most of the time out of context, he said, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. It's couched in the context of contentment. I can, with Christ's help, live in contentment. We can't. We can't. And yet, verse 14, yet it was good to you, good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. So they have supported him earlier part of the ministry, but for 10 years they didn't, and then now they renew their commitment to support him again. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. This is what Paul is saying. It's for your own sake when you support the God's work. It's for your own credit. You are scoring point for yourself. It's not just for me. So that the credit will go to you, Paul says. Verse 18, I received full payment and even more I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And that is where now verse 19 comes in. He said, but my God shall supply. Now Paul is pronouncing a blessing on the giver. He said, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. By the way, this is King James Version. Uh, yeah, some versions say, my God will supply all your need according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God will supply all your need. The word Jehovah Jireh means God, the Lord our provider, or the Lord will see to it. So, See to it. I want to, based on this verse, give you a couple of P's. And the first one is I want to look at the first P, and that is the provider. Uh, Paul say, but my God. I want to look at, first and foremost, this God who is the provider. The God of history is a God of provider. When the people of God needed a leader, God raised up Moses. When they needed water in the desert, God provided it from the rock. 
When they needed food for their wilderness wanderings, God gave them manna from heaven. Just in case you don't know, 9,000 pounds delivered daily for 40 years. When they needed clothes, uh, Deuteronomy 29 says, During the 40 years that I led you through the desert, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. And finally, there are many more I can quote from, but when it comes to judges, God raised up leader time and time again when they called upon him. And then when it comes to the New Testament, when a man needed a savior to save him from their sins, God gave and provided us his son, Jesus Christ. And please note that Paul said, my God. He didn't use our God. He's speaking from a personal experience of God providing for him. His hope was in the God of the Bible. He experienced himself. And I believe that if I were to open this time up for people to share their testimony, you can readily share uh, how God has provided for you. And as a full-time worker and as a a short-term mission worker before I know. I know I personally experienced God's hand in providing. I've seen how God provided many, many times, even from the church planting effort, resources, and finance, and all that. God always provides. So Paul's God was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Joseph, the God of Moses, the God of Joshua, the God of Samuel. The God of King David, the God of Elijah, Elisha, the God of Isaiah, the God of Jeremiah, the God of Ezekiel, and the God of the prophets. And so then when Paul says, my God shall supply all your need, he is authoritatively putting before us the only true God, the God who has proven reliability over the history. The Old Testament is a history of telling us who God is. And I'm glad for that. I want to put my trust in that God, the God of the Apostle. And look at what Paul says of this God in Colossians chapter 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. And, it, and He is the head of the church. The church. He is the beginning he is the head of the church. He is the beginning and the first one from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. This is what Paul again said that this is the God we worship. And then James chapter 1 says this. God is a, this God is a God who provides. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change that shifting shadows. It doesn't change. He's constant. And when someone don't change, it gives you security, isn't it? It gives you security. Some people complain to me, oh, my, you don't know my partner. Anytime, he's just a little bit and he blow out. You, know, you don't know what would trigger them off. But God is not like that. He, he doesn't change like a shifting shadow. But in case you say, in case you say, well, I provide, I work hard, I study hard, I, all my money I earn because I was very good in investing and, and it's all from my own hand. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, the second book of the law. Look at, he anticipated, 
He led you, this is what uh, Moses, He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and wayless, wasteless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. Look at this verse. You may say to yourself, just in case, this, the author, Moses said, just in case you have this thought in your mind, well, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for myself. This is what Moses said. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It is He who gives you the intelligence, the know-how, the ability even to produce wealth. So the heart of the God of the Bible is a provider. Isn't it great to know that? It's a personal not the Lord is David said the Lord is my shepherd. And then Thomas, remember Thomas when he missed out seeing Jesus? When Jesus appeared to him, he said, What? My Lord and my God. There's this personal knowledge. So the first P I want to give to you is provider. God is a history. Throughout history, He is our provider. Second P I want to give to you is the word from shall supply. My God shall supply all your need. The second P is the promise. It's the promise. The promise is that God will or shall supply. Again, Paul didn't speak in the past tense. He did not say, my God has supplied, or he, nor did he say, or using the present tense, my God is supplying. But those things would certainly be true to say, and it's wonderful to think back on how God has cared for us in the past and how He continues to take care of us today. But what about tomorrow, which in some sense has crippled many of us, isn't it? And so we store up our well just to provide, to ensure that we have enough in case uh, we don't have enough. And, and so... Future often paralyzes us. Somebody says that we, we regret our past and we fear our future. And the present are often being used to plan for future, but we actually don't live in the present. We actually don't live. We actually don't live. You know? Our present is often used for the means to plan for future. We don't actually live in the present in a sense. Uh, and someone said, well, it's called present because it's a gift. It's a gift from God. And here, Paul is saying, what will happen to me tomorrow? How wonderful it is that Paul said in the future, thanks, my God shall supply. Because our God, Paul's God, the God of the Bible, is the one whose promise will supply our every need. Then we will never need to fear about tomorrow. Look at what Jesus says. God is in Matthew chapter 7. He says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Which parents will do that? Or he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? 
And this is what Jesus said, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? How much more, if we fallen creature know how to give our best to our children, how much more God who is perfect would give good gifts to those who ask of Him? And then look at verse 8 of uh, chapter 8 of Romans. Beautiful words of entire chapter 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Why do we often always have to think that God is against us? A lot of people live in fear that God is always like him with a rod, you know, trying to whack you when you do something wrong and correct you. Why is it that we have this picture that God is always against us and not for us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If God is willing to give us the ultimate gift of all gifts, Jesus Christ, how much more of these small little things that he will not fulfill for us if we are walking in His will and doing and asking Him according to His will of those things that will advance His kingdom. There's no way that God will not provide and do it. And so, and so here we go. We, we look at uh, this God that we worship and, and the second P that we give to you is the promise. And it is God who make the promise. Remember, a promise is just a promise. It is a promiser that really matters. And this God who is our provider throughout history, He make the promise that He will supply all your needs. The third one is the provision. The provision is all your need. All your need. There's a bountiful provision, isn't it? The word need means to lack, to be in want, or to be in poverty. The more needs there are, the more God does. For God operated on the basis of our needs. Neediness is a necessity. The minute you don't need God, you don't need something, that is where you move towards a concept of depending on God to be depending on self. And that's why many people criticize the institutional church that while, while you believe in God, it is probably one of the most humanistic institutions in the world because it's all about organizing, it's all about you. There's no room for God's Spirit to move in some sense. There was a story about this man, this, this uh, preacher, he was... He went to a church to speak, but he's a poor pastor, a preacher, and he only had enough money for the right to that particular church, but not back. So he went believing God would supply the return fare. And after the service, he lingered, chattered, thinking someone would slip him some money. Not even a love gift. The church, we have a guest speaker, we give love gift, but no love gift. Uh, or even invite him for a meal. No one do that. Finally, he was standing all alone after everybody left. No money to go home. He started complaining to God. He said, God, you promised to supply all my needs. 
And he seems to hear God saying to him, Yes, I did. You need exercise. <laughs> Walk back. <coughs> Sometimes what we perceive as need is not actually need, isn't it? Sometimes what we perceive as need are actually wants. So that's very clever. God will supply all your needs, not all your wants or wishes or that is not in accordance to godly will, uh, to advance yourself or something like that is not giving glory to God. Or you go to this whole way of uh, people may write on it and, and misinterpret that uh, quoting this verse and God, you, you promised that you will supply all my needs, but you never. And therefore, I no longer want to believe in you. Well, when you, King David said, the Lord is my shepherd, what is the next sentence? When the God is your shepherd, you lack nothing. You lack nothing. God will always supply all our needs. Whatever our needs may be, God will supply. The fourth P that I want to give to you, my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory. The spelling is wrong, sorry. It's not plentitude, it's plenitude. It means abundance. According to his riches in glory. According to his abundance. The, the word according to is different from out of. If the church lacks half a million dollars, I go to a very rich man and I ask him to donate half a million to the church building project. And the person is a multi-multi-millionaire. He says, oh, half a million. That's all right. $500,000. She can fit. Let's give it to you. He will be giving the money out of his riches. But here, it says, according to. So the giving is in proportionate to who, what you have. And here, it says that God is giving according to His glorious riches, His riches in glory, is proportionate to who, what, what, the wealth that He has, which is limitless. So God is not giving out of His riches, He's giving according to His riches in glory. He does not promise merely to meet our need from out of His riches, He promised to better than that, He promises to meet our need according to His riches in glory. As great as His riches are, that's how great His ability to meet our need. And how great are His riches in glory. You can't even comprehend that. There's not enough books that are able to write about who God is. Any PhD students know that, you know. You go to Bible college, it's just PhD in just one few verses, you know, parables or, you know, or Gordon Fee, the New Testament scholar specialized in Mark. He say, you know, I, I devote all my entire life. I don't even have time to read through all the, this literature of Mark alone. That's why they say education is always a process of revealing your ignorance. The more you know, you don't know, the more you dive into one topic, you open the door up, there are hundreds of doors in there. And there you go to bring us a bit, little bit more humble in our approach to things, isn't it? And here, you hear this pronouncements of benediction, Ephesians chapter 3. 
Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Not out of his power. According to his power that is at work within us. He is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. You know, I can understand the word ask. Immeasurably more than we ask. But is there a limit to your imagination? Isn't it amazing that God can do Imagery more than all that you can imagine. All that you can imagine. So that's the fourth piece I want to give to you. And then now, before I finish with the sixth one, I now switch gear back to Genesis 22 and give you the fifth P, and that is the prerequisite. The prerequisite. Requisite. The prerequisite, there is a prerequisite uh, in terms of God's provision, not in salvation matters, but in our daily Christian living, uh, there is a prerequisite that comes along with it, and that is obedience. And if you look at the story that I've just read to you from Genesis chapter 2, you know that Abraham obeyed God. And it is obedience that leads to provision because he obeyed God. And he said to his son Isaac, God will provide his own sacrifice. When Isaac asked him, where is the sacrifice? We have the wood, we have the, you know, everything. But where is the sacrifice? His obedience leads to provision. When we obey God, God will provide. When we obey Him, He will provide. And secondly, not just only obedience leads to provision in verses 11 to 14, but obedience also leads to blessing. And because of His obedience, therefore, God said, Well, Abraham, you have waited 25 years. I've tested you enough. From when you were 75 years old, I promised you in Genesis chapter 12, three things that I'm going to give you a nation, I'm going to give you a people, and I'm going to use your people as a blessing to the world. And after waiting for 25 years, this is the time. This is the time now to get going because I've tested you, I've given you a son after waiting for so long, and then now I ask you to sacrifice the son, you're willing, and now is the time to get it going. So obedience leads to God's provision and obedience leads to blessing. And therefore, the Lord pronounced a blessing on nation. Finally, the program is starting now. And from there, the people begin to multiply. And then they, they were in, uh, in, uh, in Egypt because of famine. And the, the people begin to increase. And then God raised Moses out to lead them out into the promised land. So the people is there. First promise fulfilled. The second land not yet. And then through the 40 years, finally they have a land. And then God continued to fulfill through this third promise. They're using the Jewish people to bless the world. Obedience leads to provision. And obedience leads to blessing. The finest P that I want to give to you is the person by Christ Jesus. We begin with but my God and we end with by Christ Jesus. 
by Christ Jesus. But my God shall supply all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Think with me about the picture behind the picture of Genesis 22. Isaac carried the wood on his back. Jesus bore the weight of his cross as he walked through the streets of Jerusalem to the hill called Calvary. Both Isaac and Jesus were obedient unto death as they quietly submitted to the will of their fathers. Both Isaac and Jesus were bound in preparation for death. And they said the Mount Moriah is where the temple was eventually built. The very place where the blood of the ram soaked into the wood was where countless offerings of blood were presented in the temple. And scholars have also said that Mount Moriah is another name for Calvary. The place where Jesus gave his life for our sins where his blood stained a wooden cross. Abraham and Isaac traveled three days to the mountain where Isaac's life was eventually spared. And Jesus was buried for three days before coming back to life. Isaac learned about a substitutionary sacrifice when the lamb was killed in his place. And likewise, Jesus, as the perfect lamb of God, gave his life for us and in our place. They call it the typology, isn't it? In Old Testament, there's a type of Christ that's manifesting throughout the Old Testament in preparing for what will happen in the New Testament, the ultimate expression of God's love to us. God is our provider. He promised to provide us. And it is out of His abundant grace and mercy according to His glorious riches and ultimately express that it's through Jesus Christ that He provides for us. There's this story that I want to close with. There's this story about a very wealthy man who with his devoted son, they shared a passion for art collecting. Together, they traveled around the world, adding only to the finest art treasures to their collection. Priceless works by Picasso, Van Gogh, Monet, and many others adorned the walls of the family estate. The widowed elder man looked on with satisfaction as his only child became an experienced art collector. The son's trained eye and sharp business mind caused his father to beam with pride as they dealt with art collectors around the world. As winter approached, war engulfed the nation and a young man left to serve his country. After only a few short weeks, the father received a telegram. In those days, his beloved son was missing in action. And the art collector anxiously awaited more news, fearing he would never see his son again. And within days, his fears were confirmed. The young man had died while rushing a fellow soldier to a medic. Distraught and lonely, the old man faced the upcoming Christmas holidays with anguish and sadness. The joy of the season, a season that he and his son had so looked forward to, would, would visit his house no longer. And so on Christmas morning, a knock on the door awakened the depressed old man. As he walked to the door, 
the masterpieces of art on the walls only reminded him that his son was not coming home. As he opened the door, he was greeted by a soldier with a large package in his hand. He introduced himself to the man by saying, I was a friend of your son. I was the one he was rescuing when he died. May I come in for a few moments? I have something to show you. As the two began to talk, the soldier told of how the man's son had told everyone of his, not to mention his father's love of the fine art. And the young man said, I'm an artist, and I want to give you this. And as the old man unwrapped the package, the paper gave way to reveal a portrait of the son. Though the world would never consider it, consider it the work of a genius, the painting featured the young man's face in striking detail. Overcome with emotion, the man thanked the soldier, promising to hang the picture over the fireplace. A few hours later, after the soldier had departed, the old man set about his task. And true to his word, the painting went well above the fireplace, pushing aside thousands of dollars of paintings. And then the man sat in his chair and spent Christmas gazing at the gift he had been given. During the days and weeks that followed, the man realized that even though his son was no longer with him, the boy's life would live on because of those he had touched. He would soon learn that his son had rescued dozens of wounded soldiers before a bullet stilled his caring heart. And as the stories of his son's gallantry continued to reach him, fatherly pride and satisfaction began to ease the pain, the grief. The painting of his son soon became his most prized possession, far eclipsing any interest in the pieces for which museums around the world clamor. He told his neighbor it was the greatest gift he had ever received. And the following spring, the old man became ill and passed away. And the art world was in anticipation, and unmindful of the story of the man's only son. But in his honor, those paintings would be sold at an auction. And according to the will of the old man, all of the artworks would be auctioned on Christmas Day, the day he had received his greatest gift. And the day soon arrived, and art collectors from around the world gathered to bid on some of the world's most spectacular paintings. Dreams would be fulfilled this day, greatness would be achieved as many claim to have the greatest collection. The auction began with a painting that was not on any museum list. It was the painting of the man's son. And the auctioneer asked for an opening bid. And the people were, fell silent. He said, who wants to bid for that? We didn't come for that. But the person in charge said, well, that was the will. You have to auction off this picture first before everything else. Who will open the bidding with $100? Minutes passed, no one spoke. And from the back of the room came, who cares about that painting? It's just a picture of the sun. Let's forget it and go on to the good stuff. And more voices echoed in agreement. No, we have to sell this one first, replied the auctioneer. Who will take the sun? And finally, a friend of the old man spoke, will you take $10 for the painting? That's all I have. I knew the boy, so I would like to have it. I have $10. Will anyone go higher? called the auctioneer. After more silence, the auctioneer's going once, going twice, gone. The gravel fell, chairs filled the room, and someone exclaimed, ha, ah, come on, let's go into the real stuff. And we can bid on these great treasures now. 
And then the auctioneer looked at the audience and announced the auction was over. Stunned disbelief quieted the room. Someone spoke out and asked, what do you mean it's over? We didn't come here for a picture of some old guy's son. What about all those paintings? There are millions of dollars of art here. What happened? And he said, well, according to the will of the Father, whoever gets the son gets it all. Whoever gets the son gets it all. And that's the greatest gift that God has provided for us. Whoever gets the son, when we have Jesus, all our needs will be met. All our deepest longings of love, of forgiveness, of justice, all our deepest longings will be met. Whoever has the Son has it all. May you be encouraged that God is our provider. He will provide. Not just only in terms of the money aspect that we're talking about. I don't just gear this sermon to that, but in your own personal life, just be assured as you age, as your body begins to fall apart, God is your provider. God knows you by name. He's your shepherd. He cares for you. He takes care of each one of us individually and corporately as a church. He will see that our needs will be met. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promise, Lord, and my God shall supply all our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. The person who does not have Christ, no matter what else he may have, has nothing. But the person who has Christ has everything. He has salvation, he has security, he has the promise or provision of supply in Christ Jesus. Dear Lord, help us always to trust in you. Help us never fret, never to be afraid. Help us to live life courageously, that you trump over every situation, every problems, every struggles. With your help, we can trump over it. So we thank you, Lord, Help us today leave this place with great confidence that you are Jehovah Jireh. You are our provider. In you, we lack nothing. Help us as a church to know that. As we go about building the project, even though we may lack financial support at this moment, uh, you provide. You will provide. We have seen many, many things happen around the world in our own lives, how you have provided. Even in my own personal life, mission field, coming here to studies, you provide. And started a church in the past, you provide. You are God who provides. You are Jehovah Jireh. Help us to have faith in you. Help us not to look at the problems. Help us to look at you. And help us to look at the promise, who is our provider. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We thank you, we bless you. Bless our meetings afterwards, that it will go smoothly and that we will all bring glory to you. Thank you, Lord. We ask this sincerely in Jesus' name. Amen.